The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. And I'll be reading from the CSB translation. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas. Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. The word of God for the people of God. Well, first, Coram Day, it's so good to be here to finally see you. I've known Bob a long time. Um, I've always known him. I always admired him because he always puts the perfect amount of product in his hair when I see And his dear wife, I, I, love, I love her. She has been a joy. We were in Berlin. Were we in Berlin or somewhere together? And they were on the plane. I had a picture of them both snoring, but I, I, I didn't you bring it. <laughs> but I'm honored to be here. And as, as Pastor Bob and many church planters in Acts 29 talk about their churches, this is my first time here. This is my first time in, in Middle Earth. Um, <laughs> So um, Gandalf says hi, and uh, <laughs> so man, it is a joy. So when I look out at your faces, it is a joy to finally see the, the people that he prayed for. So I knew Bob early in Gormdale, so to look out at you guys in all your eternal swag, it is a joy. And then the, 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 the reception I've received, even in the back, the infectious love of Jesus and the desire for Christ's name to be the most famous name in Omaha is a joy. So, um, amen. So I'm glad to be here finally. And there's a lot of books outside. My book is not out there. I just want to note that. <laughs> I'm not going to pull a race card this early, but maybe later. <laughs> I want no problems. <laughs> 
you. I wonder what you got to do to get your book on the Ikea cabinet. <laughs> Dang it. It's no CRT. It's not. <laughs> I'm just a little, I went too far. Etch a sketch, etch a sketch. We back, we back. Father, meet us. We need you yet again. We are here again screaming, save us, Lord Jesus. Heal us, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. Take us in your word and remind us that you are God and you're a good, good father. And we are your children. And though we're some raggedy kids, we are yours. So meet us again through your word that we would walk away from here different, change, better than when we got here. For your glory, by your grace, bless us. Bless us now um, um, as we dig in like we always do in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple sermon. I call it the hard words, hard words, hard hearts, and true faith. Those are my three points, and I just use that as the title now. Um, most times when I preach itinerant, people bring me in to preach the passages they don't want to preach. Amen, somebody? <laughs> so we're here again. Amen. So we're going to dive in right now, and the passage has been offered so eloquently. And I know you guys are ESV. You guys are the elect standard version, but I'm CSV. I'm the Camden Street Bible. So um, that's why I say amen so hearty when I hear the beautiful words written, read through my translation. So let's walk this out. Um, I want to say, as the passage has been read, I want to give us a scriptural background. Round so I can walk us into this in a way that'll help me preach this passage so we can land in the right place of understanding. So Jesus is coming off with some of his greatest fame, quote unquote, in the people's eyes. He fed 5,000 men. He walked on water. He's, he's at the height of his popularity. The crowds are looking for Jesus. So much so they have, they have a search party on a boat. Go find them. John 6, 27, 26, John 6, 26 through 27, Jesus confronts them that are looking for him because they're looking for the wrong reasons. They're looking for him for more bread. John 6, 26 and 27 says this, Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but the food that lasts for eternal life, which the son of man will give you because... The father has sent his seal of has set his seal of approval on him. See, they didn't see the signs and the wonders as pointing to him as the Messiah. They just wanted more meals. In other words, they didn't see the person and work of the personal work of God. They only saw Panera. They didn't see him as the as, as, as savior and Lord and the Messiah. And what they did see in him of that. They didn't see him as the person of God, but they saw him for the perks only. They, all they saw was signs and wonders. Oh, in the seeing of the signs and wonders, all they wanted was more wonder bread and not him. This can be often the place of most people, sadly, even Christians. So Jesus, off the backdrop of feeding the multitude's bread, says this, I am the Panera from heaven. I am the bread of life. In John 6, 35, he goes on to explain to them now 
Um, he goes on to explain to them how partaking in the nourish in his nourishment, he provides what he provides is the only way to have their souls eternally satisfied. He is the eternal multivitamin. He says that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood, apart from which they will have no life. What a bold statement. He taught this in the synagogue at Capernaum. And verses 60 through 71 outlines their response to his hard words. So here's the crux. This statement of eat his flesh and drink his blood was what many theologians call the hard sayings. But for, for some, though, the reality that I want to dive into is it's a breaking point of their relationship with him. They bounce. That means they leave. <laughs> contextualize, contextualize. <laughs> And for others, it's a bonding point of them realizing how desperately they need him. They bow. So the two responses in this passage are some people bounce and some people bow. So it is in our reality of this life. So my first idea is hard words. I want to pack hard, unpack this because this can be a challenge in belief and in understanding. This passage is still a challenge Every day I speculate for people struggling, those who trust Christ and those who don't. So let me try to walk out this idea of hard words. Have you ever been talking to someone and, and they thought that y'all were on the same page? But after you kept talking, you knew that y'all kind of weren't on the same page. They, they go on agreeing with the words that are coming out of your mouth. You're trying to say something. They're hearing something else. But you could tell that their heart didn't agree, even though they said they did. At this point, you have two choices. Either you keep on keeping on like you are all on the same page or you say some words, maybe some hard words to confront them with the reality that the two of you are actually aren't on the same page. This is the point of what Jesus is doing with the hard words in Scripture. Jesus utilizes hard words not to be misunderstood but because it was the only way for people to understand that they didn't understand. That's what you, these, these are joke words. F.F. Bruce, one of my favorite theologians, says this, for us to, for to us, there are two kinds of hard sayings. There are some which are hard to understand and there are some which are only too easy to understand. Mark Twain spoke for many when he said that this thing, that the things in the Bible that bothered him were not those, were not those that he did not understand, but those that he did understand. A hard saying, simply put, it's a difficult one, maybe difficult to understand, maybe difficult to accept, maybe both. But it's so often true that when people, even people who say that they are followers of Jesus, discover what he truly says about himself, they find it to be a hard pill to swallow. So in this narrative, Jesus is calling the people to believe. And over and over again, they reject it with rebuttals and wanting further clarification. I'll give you one, John 6.30. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? So they try to treat Jesus like a circus monkey so that they would believe they want him to jump through hoops. And he is the eternal living God, God in flesh, who came to save the world. And they want him to act like he's at Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Circus. 
so that they can believe. They wanted his performance, not his person. At the, and then John 6.52, at that the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's a hard, difficult saying for them. They're struggling with rejection. They refuse to believe. So let me do a little, what I call a theological foundation to set us up to ease us into this passage. So this is the Old Testament, New Testament reality, theological foundation. In the Old Testament, God forbid Israel from drinking the blood because God had said that the life is in the blood. Leviticus 17 helps us, 10 through 12. I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood, and I will cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor any foreigner residing among you eat blood. This is the whole idea of kosher. This is the removing of the blood. And this would have been, you can't do that or you'll be cut off from your people. So it is, and, and rightly, hard for them to get when they've been at Hebrew school, been told, you can't eat that. This symbolizes, and so this would point to this, this, this covenant communion that we would recognize at Passover. So you see, so this lamb would be slaughtered in then we would later see in our communion meal the, the wine and the, and the bread as the blood and the flesh, not actual blood and not actual flesh. We're not Catholic, but pointing to the spiritual reality of Christ. Something in Leviticus is interesting because it said, for the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement. There's that beautiful word atonement. We read it earlier, substitutionary atonement. So Jesus' blood is the atonement for the sins of, human, of humans. This seems like a hard saying because the Jews knew it was wrong to drink blood, but Jesus was giving an image of his ultimate sacrifice as the Lamb of God. This is this picture. Jesus is saying some stuff that they're not used to hearing so they can hear some stuff that they're not used to believing. And sometimes he has to take a hard saying. I'm from the hood, I had a rough dad. He said and did some stuff to make me understand what he was saying. <laughs> so therefore, Jesus is charging up the words. He's giving them a jolt to get them to see this. Jesus utilizes hard words not to be misunderstood, but because it was the only way for people to understand that they didn't understand. All along, he's had people riding with him. That means journeying with him. I'm going to stop that. Somebody's going to tweet. He's a racist. <laughs> Don't you tweet that. I will deny it. I have a white wife. I can say anything <laughs> and get away with it. What do you mean? I love that I pull that and it sometimes works. <laughs> People have been riding with him and they think, who think they're actually with him. And he uses the hard words to help them see that they are really not with him. To pull back the veneer, to confront them with what's true about themselves. These words are a missional gut check. What does that mean? 
It means you think you're on mission with Jesus because like me and maybe like you, you grew up in a church where you understood churchology, but not the Bible. You are a church person, but not a Christian. So you had a form of godliness, but you didn't understand the power or have the Holy Spirit residing in you. But you, like me, I, the first thing I learned in church was now unto him who is able. That's the benediction. That meant it was time to go. So that's the first thing I learned going to church. But I didn't know that I didn't understand the depths of my sin and my soul and how Jesus had to die in my place. I didn't know that stuff. But I was in church and I was doing it. And so this missional gut check is this call that Jesus is doing with these hard words as he clarifies the cost and the commitment that Christ requires. So what we hear today, even through our service and through our songs, is the reminder of the cost. It cost Jesus Christ, the perfect human, his life on the cross, who never committed a sin, who was holy, harmless, and undefiled. And then his commitment to raggedy jokers like us who are undeserving of his love, who have been separated because of sin. And yet he dies in our place and he is committed to the least, the last, and the lost, the broken, busted from the pulpit to the park parking lot. He loves the nasty joker like us and turns us from enemies to sons, turns us from enemies to daughters. Only God could do that. This is this picture of the cost and commitment that Christ paid and the same one that we must. We don't walk in some bootleg reality. We walk in the reality that Christ paid full price for damaged goods and he's not going to return them. He's not second guessing his purchase for us. He's not wondering if he made a mistake. He's the warranty for the broken soul. He's the repairman for your weary life. So let this be a missional gut check to you. Remember the cost and the commitment required of Christ. He demonstrates it on the cross. And his commitment is when he pops up like popcorn three days later. Vindicated. And the first thing he does is come get raggedy us. What a savior. What a savior. You can give the Lord praise right now. I know y'all don't do that. Nobody's going to stop you, though. You can just go ahead and praise him. Hard words are what we call them. They actually are only the truth, Christ's words of truth. They're just regular old truth. What we've learned in this day, truth is a problem. But Christian, don't you stop speaking it. Let them cancel you. Let them racial slur you. Let them remove you. They tried to cancel Jesus, but he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can't cancel no Christian. I got eternal life. I got the ghost. I got everything Jesus had. The Holy Ghost and the Bible. <laughs> cancel me, please. My mother, my father's out. Come back and haunt you. <laughs> Don't worry about canceling because there's going to be a canceling of people leaving this earth, not meeting Jesus and going to hell. And you've been here to interfere in that cancel. Care what they say. We take our P's and Q's from the word of God. We're the thermostat, not the thermometer, the church. The news should be calling us to figure out how to handle COVID. 
The news should be calling us trying to figure out how to handle racial issues in the country. We got the Bible. We got the only truth. And it cost Jesus, an innocent man, his life. So we stand on the realities of the hard words and the not so hard words because they all are the truth of Christ. Jesus in his grace says hard things to penetrate hard hearts that they might be brought into his kingdom as he suffers a hard death on their behalf on the cross. This is the reality, my second idea. So the first one was hard words. I wanted to lay a, found, a theological foundation of hard words. It was a little hard. They've been told their whole life not to do this. And now Jesus is saying it, but he's showing them an image of a spiritual reality. And so, so it is with us. So let's jump into the second point, which is a helpless people. Jesus' very own disciples, not just the crowds, thought the call to eat his flesh and drink his blood were hard words. Forgive me. Therefore, when many of the disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus doesn't let off the gas, though. He brings them to the pinnacle of his hard words. He asks, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend into heaven? He's saying that in 61 and 62. Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked him, does this offend you? Verse 62. Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. And here's what Jesus is doing here. Let me give you the emotional tone of this text. He's saying, oh, y'all worried about what I just said about eating the flesh and drinking the blood? What you going to do when I fly through the air and go to other realms and then come back alive like nothing happened? So y'all worried about them words? What about these apples? I'm going to die, come back, breathing, eat filter fish with you, and then leave again. He's saying, y'all worried about that? Y'all worried about the wrong thing? Often, guys, we don't recognize how helpless we are, so we worry about the wrong things. We're a helpless people. All of his words of life. Jesus knows this, that the people are grumbling, grumbling under their breath. You know you can't grumble under your breath without God hearing you. He's saying they have the audacity to be offended. They grumble at the call to eat flesh and drink his blood. Dr. Tony Evans says this. He was using a rich metaphor. I want to read this off the screen because I spelled stuff wrong. He was using a rich metaphor to emphasize that belief in this is essential. Just as you will die without physical food, so also you can't have spiritual life apart from Jesus. You must eat him, that is, receive him, trust him, believe in him, have faith in him, partake in him. This is what Jesus is driving home. This is the reality of the Christian faith. This is what we're screaming. And yet the disciples didn't get it. They grumbled. Even if you don't grumble under your breath, Jesus knows. Grumbling is low-key complaining. Grumbling is unbelief. Grumbling is pre-tap out. Grumbling is low-key protest. I want you to think Mount Sinai. Well, the children of Israel grumbled. They complained about the bread and they wanted some quail. It got quail and they whined about that. They were never satisfied and so it is with humans. We think we're satisfied, but we're not. And we grumble and complain all the time in this life. And we grumble and complain often about the wrong things. 
Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples that these hard words for them, because they cannot be received in the flesh. Look at verse 63. Look what it says. The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I'll start with the second part. The flesh has no help at all. See, his words are spirit and life. The Bible screams that all over. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Trying to comprehend and obey the spiritual reality apart from the spirit of God will leave you confused at best and angry at worst. So what is he saying? Let me just use this to explain hard words. He's saying all my words come from the spirit and all my words brings life, the hard ones and the not so hard ones. So he's making a clear letting you know that he is not distinguishing these words as some special words. They're just his regular words and all of them flow out of the spirit and all of them bring life. We call them hard in our context, this human context to understand them, but Jesus called them life. So sometimes hard things bring about life. The flesh is no help at all. What is, he, what is he driving? He's driving that you can't save yourself. You can't get to the Father on your own strength. See, Jesus asked hard questions to get the people to a place of utter need of his spirit. And he confronts them with the truth of himself. See, humans don't have spiritual resources in and of themselves to trust in the good news of Jesus' grace and lordship. It runs counter to the natural state. This is why Jesus told them no man can come unless it is granted to him by the Father. What am I talking about here? I'm screaming divine initiative. You can't save yourself. We were dead in trespasses and sins, hopeless, apart from God. No way to get to him. No degree, no understanding, no theology, no grandma's prayers, no uncle's prayers. We're going to fix the separated sinful condition we were in. It was only because our Jesus stooped down and died. And from humility to resurrection had you broken us in mind. And he drew you. You didn't draw yourself. Born in sin, shaped in iniquity. No one understands. No one comes to God. But thank God for Jesus that he comes out of glory to step into this lowland of sorrows. He tucks his Shekinah glory into a skin suit and he takes on flesh to be put to death for you and for me. We would have never came to him. He had to come and get us. Thank God he did. Thank God he came after broken, nasty us. Thank God for Jesus who didn't leave us in our nasty estate, but he came after the raggediest, nastiest folk, us. He conquered every enemy, even the enemy with enemy, that booger named you, and died, rose again. And not many days from now, we'll be back to pick us up from this low land of sorrows. That's what Jesus is saying. Y'all worried about this? My words are from the spirit and they bring life. The hard ones and the soft ones. And not only that, you can't even get to me unless I come to you. You worrying about some blood and some flesh. You can't get to me unless I come get you. This divine initiative, he draws us in and saves dead sinners. Spence, um, Spence Jones says this, the father gives both the hunger and the food. 
the sense of need and the heavenly supply. The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, is the drawing of the father through the son to himself. The drawing of the father is the giving of the souls to the son. How beautiful is that? How beautiful. Only Jesus. He came to get us from our helpless estate to give us hope in Christ. He draws us. We are irresistibly drawn in by Christ. Nothing we could do. Nothing we could do to save ourselves. Whole, helpless, separated, on our way to hell. And the divine initiative of God steps in. If you're here today, let that be good news to you. Because if you try to fix it, you're just going to mess it up worse. But thank God for Jesus who steps in and says, I know how raggedy you are. I got you. I'll die. Your death is just death. My death will be vindicated. I'll live. Your life is a mess. Mine is perfect. And I'll rise because that death will whoop you. You won't beat it. I will. This is the picture of the gospel. You couldn't do it. Only he could. That's our reality. And he's driving here. So let's look at the two responses of the people to what Jesus, I think that clock is not set right. I need it recalibrated. I'll wait. <laughs> so let's look at the two responses of the people to what Jesus has said. And y'all, let, let this be a Pentecostal praise break for you. <laughs> I am sweating like a preacher at tax time. <laughs> I stole that from the hotel. Bob will get charged. <laughs> So let's look at these two responses of the people and what Jesus has said. So two responses. Some people responded with desertion from Christ and some responded with devotion to Christ. We're going to start with the first response. The first response to these hard words and tough claims of Jesus is desertion. Many of the disciples turned back, departed, dismissed, denied, and defected, and no longer followed him, proving that they were never following him to begin with. How sad it is. They, that we have followed hard words of other people before. We followed hard words of people all our lives. I mean, from police to teachers to... They had understood this in their context. The rabbi had said some hard things to them as well. And the doctor, for many of you, I'm older. The doctor has said some hard words to me I didn't like. Like, I can't eat salt no more. That's hard when you out with pretty boy Dusty and old perfect product Bob Thune because them jokers is eating fine food and I'm over here with a dirty salad. <laughs> hard words the doctor said to me. So we have to acknowledge rather than acknowledging their need and trusting Christ, they turn back and stopped following him. They wouldn't bow to him and his words. They rejected the bread of life. They wanted Jesus' words to be digestible to their personal palate. When he gave hard words, they took out their phones and canceled him. They unfollowed him, and truly, and they voted with their feet. What am I screaming? The rejection is a reality. It's a part of who we are. On mission, we will get rejected. Don't you worry. You stand there and you put your Holy Ghost dukes up and you fight the good fight of Christ. 
Yes, they rejected. And this rejection, we'll see later in the verse, in verse 70, um, the rejection of Judas, Jesus talks about. So this is the reality of of our day. Pastors, deacons, churchgoers who, when confronted with hard words of Jesus, when confronted with the cost, they depart from him. This shows that they never truly followed him in the first place. So it is with us. What will we do when Jesus says hard words to us? Will we pack up and roll or will we stand and commit our lives to Christ? I, this is going to sound harsh. I, I kind of care. I don't know. I don't care. Um, I don't care about your feelings. I care about your feelings. But on those hard days, Jesus' words are still good, whether you feel like they are or not. This is the reality of the Christian faith. Man, like, man, I don't feel like being a Christian some days, but his words are still life. They don't change because I change. They have no shadow of turning, no variation. He's the only stable friend you got. And this is the words of Jesus. So regardless of how you feel about it, he is good. Regardless of how you take it, his words are life and flow from the spirit of God. And this is how we don't walk away. We buckle in and buckle up for the rough ride. But if Jesus is driving, we're going to get there. I don't care how rough the ride is. I've had raggedy cars in my life. My kids feel like um, they can't believe they survived this whole. (laughs) And I was driving. When Jesus is driving, man, oh, man, man, oh, man, look at you. You're a part of Bob Thune and the elders driving this thing. And look at you. Once we're lost, but now Christ has found you. Look at you in this beautiful splendor of a building. And I heard you have a light on the temple that you pay extra money for up on the tower. <laughs> I heard. I just heard that. I, I can't confirm nor deny. <laughs> will we turn? Yeah, sometimes we will. Because our feelings try to control us. But might Christ control us in these hard days, in these hard times? Might we trust the Savior who died harder than Bruce Willis, Jesus? The second response of the people to Jesus' hard words, this is my third point, true disciples. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? And I think in my Elizabethan King James, it says, will you leave me too? Jesus then turns to the 12 and asks them if they want to go away as well. They give two responses to Jesus' hard words and tough claims. One of utter dependence and trust. Lord, I love this. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words to eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Verse 68 and 69 says, Simon Peter answered, Lord, whom will we go? How beautiful. This is a sign of true discipleship. A true disciple is one who remains with Jesus to the end. While the first group of people departed, these disciples deepened in devotion as they understood their dependence on the Savior. 
This is what we scream from our mouths every day of our lives. Every Sunday from the pulpit, this is what I preach. Every Sunday at Quorum Deo is an Easter Sunday sermon. It's the continual reminder, only Christ has the eternal words. He has died and risen again. He has risen indeed. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday in Christ's church. And so this is what we're screaming. Only Christ has the words to eternal life. Our political parties don't have the words to eternal life. Our special news don't have the words to eternal life. Ourselves, our ideology, None of that has the words, only Christ. So we're always screaming, all roads lead to the Savior. He is the only way. He's the only truth and he's the only life. This is what we're screaming. And we're being confronted more and more on this front that that's not true. No compromise. He is truth. I'm not arguing with you. Bible says it. Cancel me. I said he said it. I said what I said. He said it. And you stand right there. I don't care what they say to you. I don't care if they threaten cancel. The truth is only Christ saves. Everything else is thinking sin. Everything else. Don't be scared to say that. Just don't say it like a jerk. (laughs) Say it with some grace. (laughs) Only Christ. How comforting is that? Scary and hard is that though, right? Only Christ has the words of eternal life. Their deep in faith was centered in their understanding that Jesus is the Holy One of God. I like that phraseology. They use it. The Holy One of God, verse 69. It says, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's the question. Will we desert God's word in the difficult moments or will we go deeper in trust of him? as he went to the depths of death to deliver us. This holy one of God, um, Whitaker says this, the holy one of God may have been a messianic title, but there is no evidence for such a use. It expresses Jesus' nearness to God, who is the holy one of Israel. This Old Testament title signifies that God is set apart from all others. It is often in Isaiah, It is often in Isaiah to refer to the one who makes and redeems Israel. In Jesus, we see one, excuse me, who the Father has set apart. The 12 recognize the one who is set apart and who is redeeming Israel by offering eternal life, redemption indeed. This is the picture. It's starting to line up for them. They're saying, man, this is the one we've been waiting for. He is the Christ. He is the one that we belong for. He is the Holy One of God. That makes all the difference in the reality of following this Savior. He is the one, the treasure of the ages. He is the one that has been prophesied who is here. He is the one that can deliver. All the others were bootlegged, but this is the real deal. He is the Holy One of God. See, a true disciple realizes Jesus' words, though hard to receive, are are the very living water of God and the eternal bread from heaven. Back to these words, eternal life motif. See, all the words of Jesus are spirit and life, John 6, 63 says. See, Peter is tying the hard words of Jesus to eternal life. Peter goes further in tying him as the Holy One of God, as the Messiah. That's what's happening. He's tying the hard words to his messianic power. Hard words ain't hard if your Savior, who is perfect and loves you, is handling them. This is Peter saying you're the Holy One of God. If, if I could 
If I could translate for Peter, this is what I think Peter would say if I could add a commentary for Peter. Peter is saying, can another calm the raging sea with a word? No. Can another touch a disease, infected leper, and make him clean? There's none like you. Can another say to a lame man, get up, your mat, take up your mat, get up and walk, and immediately his legs are made strong? No, there's none like you. Can any, can others extend God the Father's forgiveness to humans? No. He's screaming, you are the Holy One of God. We left everything to follow you because only you have the power and the glory and the honor. We're here. Good, bad, or ugly. We're going to be standing here. This passage is the heart of the song for there is none like you. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I could search for all eternity long and I'll find that there is none like you. That's what Peter is screaming. None like Jesus. Why do we scream that? Because only Jesus has the words of eternal life. The not so hard words and the hard words. There's none like Jesus. Amen, amen. When true disciples, when a true disciple is confused by words that bring intellectual challenges, they start with what they know for sure about Jesus and move out from there. When Christ's word says something to us that confronts us morally, we repent of our sin and trust that he knows what's best for us more than we do, do and loves us better too. When, he, when his word says something that culturally cost us, we cling to the truth that Jesus is a better friend, has given us a better father who loves us fully and granted us a better family in the church to walk through life with. And these hard words confront us, they confront us with the truth. And the truth is, we are family. We are here. Christ has saved us. We are the hope of the ages that he's using us to gather in the nations that they might follow and know him. That's what, your, that's what your role is in Omaha, one crazy family for a bunch of broken families that they might come here and find family here. And that's every race, nation, and kindred and tongue that we might be surrounded in this environment of grace with an atmosphere of hope that when he, anybody in Omaha on either side of the city show up here, they run into some people that heard some hard words that confronted some hard sin, but turned their hard hearts into soft hearts through the gospel. And when they get here, they're met at Cormondale with a hug and some hope. This is what we're screaming. Christ no, has, I want to repeat it. We cling to the truth that Jesus is a better friend. He has given us a better father who loves us fully and granted us a better family in the church as we walk through this life. So Christ lovingly confronts true disciples to conform and refine us deeper into his image. Every confrontation of the word is an opportunity for further formation. Only he has the words to eternal life. Let me close with this. During Corona... I think the world forgot that um, we're going to die. <laughs> we forgot. See, Thanos snapped in 2020 and we lost a year. We came back and we forgot we was going to die. Now, that's okay for the world to think that they're going to live forever. Michael Jackson told them they could if they had enough money. 
all of that, but not the church. The Bible says that he grants to those who trust him through repentance and faith, the, the atoning work of Jesus, eternal life. That implies you're going to die. He talks about a cross. There's one out here on this church. You know what that cross is? Right now, it's awesome because we got this awesome building. But you know what it actually means? Somebody died. This whole life surrounding us is death. And this whole Bible is the answer to the reality of eternal life, which implies that there's an eternal death. We forgot that. We ain't scared of death. We have the Savior. We're the essential workers in a virus, in a pandemic. We bring the only hope for anybody dying is the gospel. We forgot somehow that Jesus' greatest work was he died in the place of sinful humanity. So that sinful humanity would, that through belief in him, though he die, yet shall he live. This is our reality. So on the cross, Jesus, me and you fight through a pandemic to, to lead people to Christ in Omaha at the fear or threat of death. Jesus went to the cross at the cost of death. He's the better savior. He's the better EMT. He's the better doctor with or without a mask. His vaccination is his vindication as he would rise from the grave over death. And in him, you have the only hope that is hope, and that's hope in Christ. So if you're here today, I'm begging you to come to Jesus. If you don't know him, you're struggling, searching, doubting, it's okay. We're glad you're here. Keep coming. We got donuts and books, not mine, books out in the <laughs> lobby. But most importantly, we want to see you converted and meet Jesus. And like Pastor Bob talked earlier, we are a crockpot church here. We cook you slow. <laughs> so you come crazy, nuts, smelling like things you shouldn't be smoking, and we're still going to love you. And we're going to cook you slow. But if you're here, don't struggle with that doubt. Young or old, receive Jesus right now as Savior. And my Elizabethan, he says, I will in no wise cast you out. What that means is he's going to take you. <laughs> come to Jesus. Come to him. Run to him. Cry to him. Do everything to him. Young and old, come to Jesus. Hard words and soft words. Here's the eternal words. Jesus is life. And in him, there is no shadow of turning. In him, he is life. Receive him as Savior. And if you're in Christ, same call. Come to Jesus again and again and again. He never gets tired. He never, he never hits. Do not disturb on his phone when you're screaming to him. He's never second guessing saving you. He loves you with an eternal love. You have to fight every day to keep coming back. And we have to answer the question that the passage that these disciples had to answer. Will you leave me too? No, no, Lord. We're going to be right here. Come hell or high water. We trust you. So if you're here today, don't leave here without getting smacked with the grace of God. There's going to be a bunch of elders and a bunch of people with all types of stuff on. And they're going to tell you. 
mainly those funny green name tags. And they're going to, aquamarine, I'll call it. And they're going to tell you about Jesus. He is a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Please don't miss that. That's burdening in my heart when I was back in the back in between services. Man, I saw I said this at the conference. I'll say this now. I got to sit down. Pastor Bob is a great preacher. But I promise you, he doesn't preach for likes. We don't preach for likes. We preach for baptisms. We want people to get converted. So if you're here, man, this is the place for that. We, we want you. We don't care how crazy you are. We take crazy folk. So come to Jesus. Run to him. Cry to him. Flee to him. He is life. Father, be with us even as we transition, as the worship team comes to lead and point us to reflection on who you are and all that you've done in Christ. We ask you, Father, to meet us in our brokenness, to meet us in our, in, in our, in our insecurities and in our shame and guilt and remind us of the grace and the hope we have in your empty tomb, in your saving us, in your atoning work. Be glorified even now in Christ's name. Amen.